So this morning, thank you, Emily. Welcome. So this morning we are looking at uh, the continuation of the story that we went through yes or last week. Uh, so John twenty nineteen through thirty one. Uh, you can follow along on the screen beside me here. John twenty nineteen through thirty one. Before we read, let's pray together. Now, thanks, God, for uh, this opportunity once again to, to gather together as a community to, to worship you, to bow down, to lay our lives down for you. Uh, we thank you for this book and thank you for all the ways that you speak to us through it. So come, Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds. Help us to, to see and experience you in a, in a new and different way and uh, maybe think about life with each other and life with you and life in the world uh, a little bit differently. Transform us. Make us more like you, Jesus. Amen. So, to recap the story really quickly before we jump into where we're headed this morning. Uh, Mary went to the tomb early in the morning on the first day of the week while it was still dark. She found out that the tomb was empty. Jesus' body was gone. Then she ran and told Peter and John. They came, and there was a, like a race to the tomb. They both looked inside, and John tells us they looked and believed, but they didn't really understand what was happening. And then they sort of left, and Mary was there alone in the garden by the tomb, wondering what was happening, crying, devastated, and Jesus appears. She's confused, thinks he's the gardener, and then she says, he says her name, Mary, and she recognizes, oh my goodness, it's Jesus. And he says, don't hold on to me, go instead and tell my brothers, and I have not yet returned to the Father, and their Father, my God, and, and your God, right? And so now we get to the evening of that day. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked because they were afraid, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you, he said. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The, Peter, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I won't believe it. And then a whole week later now, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was still with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them. Peace be with you. 
Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We will go that far. So, tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. Death is done for. Uh, love wins. We're all new and different now, and, and the whole world will never be the same again, right? Right? Welcome to the week after Easter. Now, I have to be honest with you. I always try to be honest with you. That's kind of my job, but I have to be honest with you. For me, and for lots of people like me who do what I do, the week after Easter can it can kind of be a letdown. Like, we put so much heart and soul and energy and thought into, into making Easter what we all hope Easter will be, that when it's all over, when we sort of come down from that metaphorical mountaintop, it can kind of feel like, Are you with me? Maybe... Maybe you feel that way, too. Maybe that's why, according to church tradition, this Sunday is known as Low Sunday. Feels kind of appropriate to me. Low Sunday. The week after Easter, all sorts of questions start bubbling up to the surface. Resurrection. Okay. So what? Now what? What happens next? What are we to do? What's this all about anyway? So we have all sorts of questions that sort of bumble up, bubble up as we come down from the high that is Easter. And that's why I like it that every year, the week after Easter, the church decides literally every year to look at this story. The story of, of Thomas the doubter, the one who brings all of his questions, the one who brings his skepticism and isn't afraid to do so. It's a profoundly honest story. It's a profoundly human story. So what I'd like for us to do this morning is, well, it's what we always do. Let's walk through the story again together. And then what I want to do is notice some things. And after I've noticed them and talked about them for a little bit, hopefully you can sit wherever it is you're sitting and talk about these things too, because I think they're important and I think they're, they're really deep and interesting. So here's how the whole thing went down. After, after Jesus was crucified, his friends, understandably so, ran into Jerusalem and they hid inside a room. Perhaps it was that same upper room, we're not quite sure, but the doors were locked. They were afraid because Roman justice, after all, had been had been swift. It had been brutal. And they're all thinking to themselves, you know, we don't want to be next in line. We don't want them to grab us and do what they did 
to Jesus. So they're hiding in that room on the first day of the week because they're afraid, but they're also devastated. I mean, their friend, the one who promised them that the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God was coming on earth right now. The, the one they were coming to believe was actually the son of God. Well, he was dead. He was weak and vulnerable and helpless in the face of Rome's brutal power. He was dead and, and so was the dream. So was the hope. Now, here's the deal. Some women had gone to the tomb early in the morning, and they came back muttering some pretty unbelievable things about the tomb being empty. One of the other stories about Jesus in the, in the Bible tells us that the other disciples, they sort of dismissed these things as idle tales. Way to respect the women in the group, guys. They're just idle tales. And then Peter had gone to see, and he sort of confirmed their story. But let's be honest about Peter. Like, at this point in the story, his credibility is shot. Like, his reputation has been flushed down the toilet really quickly because everyone knew what he had done. They knew that he said, I'll die before I deny knowing you, Jesus, just a few hours before denying he ever knew Jesus. Not one time, but, but three times. So you can't trust that guy. Uh-uh. But then, on the evening of that first Easter day, something happened in that room. Like, all of a sudden, he was there among them. They, they sensed his presence. They experienced his presence, not dead, but alive. There's no explanation. There's no arguing about it. But it turns out to be an experience that was so transformative. It transformed this group of devastated, grieving men and women into, into powerful disciples of the living God. A, it was the beginning of a movement that would eventually just change the trajectory of the world forever. Now, as the story goes on, John tells us that there was one that wasn't there. And I think it's at this point in the story that we sort of start to relate a, a little bit because we weren't there either. Like, we kind of feel what it feels like to be Thomas, right? You can imagine the scene as they finally found Thomas. They're like, Thomas, Thomas, man, you're not going to believe this. He's not dead. He's alive. We've seen him with our own eyes, and Thomas is all, you're right. I, I don't believe you. But Thomas, it's really true. We've seen him. You can believe us. And Thomas is all, you're crazy, man. Unless I see it, I'm not going to believe it. In fact, I'm going to go one further. I'm going to up this thing. Unless I touch the nail marks in his hand and I put my own hand into that big gaping hole in his side, I'm not going to believe it. And then next, I think this is really interesting. Thomas is left to wrestle with his questions his doubts, his skepticism, his unbelief in the presence of the other disciples for an entire week. Like, I have to believe that was a little bit of an awkward week for him. They're all believing and trying to convince him. And he's like, sorry, guys, I got nothing. And then all of a sudden it happened. It happened again. Jesus was there 
among them. And when he shows up, there's no judgment. There's no reprimand for him not believing. There's no shaming. There's no, come on, Thomas, didn't you see this coming? You should have seen this coming. What are you doing? No, Jesus doesn't do any of that. He just shows up and gives Thomas himself. He's like, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Believe, Thomas. It's me. I'm here. So, that's the story. Now, let's just notice a few things about the story. First, John makes a really big deal out of the fact that Jesus still has the marks of the crucifixion on his body. Like, he makes a really big deal out of this. And I think that's interesting. I find that fascinating. In fact, he makes such a big deal out of it. He mentions these marks of the crucifixion three different times just to make sure those of us who are dull understand that this is a really important thing. Why does he still have those marks? Why are the marks of the crucifixion still on his resurrected body? He's resurrected, right? So according to the logic in my tiny little brain, like those marks should be gone. Like, he's resurrected. His body should be made perfect. That's what the resurrection does, right? Why are those marks still there? I think John wants us to think about that. I think he wants us to ponder that deeply and wonder about it and talk about it. Now, over the centuries, all sorts of different people have given all kinds of different answers to that question. Why are those marks still there? The one that probably comes up the most often is, that those marks are still there because, you know, we need to be reminded that the living a life of faith, well, it's just not easy. I like that. But actually, I think it's, it's, it's bigger than that. It's wider than that. I think it's, it's deeper than that. I, I, think it's, I think it's not just living a life of faith. Jesus was fully human. I think those marks are still there to remind us that life is hard, really hard, for all human beings, for all of humanity. There are some hurts, some wounds, well, they just stick with us. There are some marks of pain and loss and trauma that, that will always remain. Like, Renee and I will always be a couple that knows what it's like to lose a child to miscarriage. Like, that kind of stuff sticks with you. It doesn't just go away. Some of us carry marks from a childhood full of abuse. Some of us carry around marks from chronic pain and illness. Some of us carry around marks of pain and loss because of some things that the faith community itself have done to us and the, the culture that has been built. I mean, we have all sorts of marks, and that list goes on and on and on, and we don't have time to name them all. Jesus' resurrected body kept its scars. I mean, I think this story seems to be telling us that some wounds, well, they just stay with us. Even after resurrection, even after new life. 
Look, man, we live in a world that worships looking good. We live in a world that worships looking great all around us, all the time, every day. People are packaging their, themselves and marketing themselves to the world. I mean, that's essentially what social media is, right? It's just packaging ourselves and marketing ourselves to the world. All of us have online identity, identities that are, that are self-generated. Like, we only put out there what we want people to see. That's the only thing we put out there, what we want people to see. And having the ability to self-generate our own identities, it sort, of, it sort of invites embellishment, doesn't it? I mean, we love to look good. And if we're honest about it, we love thinking about posting something and having other people looking at it and maybe experiencing a little bit of FOMO themselves because of what we put out there. Like, we want people to think that we're leading and living the perfect kind of life. But if Jesus, even after the resurrection, walked around with scars unashamed, then maybe we don't need to worry so much about projecting perfection. In fact, maybe that's one of the best things about our faith tradition, or maybe that's one of the things that ought to be one of the best things about our faith tradition. Like, we have a willingness to, to embrace real people with real bodies that have real scars. Like, we don't have to fake it. Faking it, man, that just gets so tiresome. Besides... All of our scars, they have stories that go with them. Stories that ultimately could be helpful to other people. I have this scar on my hand. It's right here. Uh, it's in the shape of a scar. I love this scar because it looks so cool. I'm kind of proud of it. Do you have a scar that looks like a star? I didn't think so. This is awesome. I got it because I got bit by a dog I didn't know when I was just a little child. I got bit by a dog, left a star scar on my hand. It's pretty cool. Down here on my left knee, I have this other scar. It's about, it's about this long and about that wide. I got it after getting hit by a car while riding my bicycle. Truth is, that's not exactly how it happened. That's what I want you to believe because we all like to embellish, right? But truth is, there was a car riding down the street and I forgot to look both ways and I ran into the side of a moving car with my bike. Yeah, didn't turn out so good. Anyway, those scars have stories and those stories aren't, aren't very helpful beyond, hey, don't pet strange dogs that are running around on their own and don't forget to look both ways before you cross the street. But we all have other scars. We all have other scars that are, that are deeper than those. And those, those scars have stories behind them. Stories that can be pretty helpful to other people if we're, if we're only willing to 
to be honest about them, to be truthful about them, to be real. Alexander Shire writes this while writing about this scripture. He says this, We can hide our marks, or we can offer them up to others when appropriate, so that those pathfinders can use them as trail signs while making their own way through the wilderness. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Because here's the deal. We're all in this together. Life is sometimes hard. And we're wounded. We have scars. And somehow, some way or another, we... We get through them on the other end, but those scars remain. Maybe, maybe our own wounds, our own scars can, can bring about resurrection, can, can, can bring about new life in other people's lives. But only if we stop faking it, only if we're willing to share That's the first thing. Let's notice one more thing. This is awesome. So Thomas enters into a community of faith and openly expresses his doubts. Like, he doesn't hide his skepticism. He doesn't hide his unbelief, even a little. He walks into a community of faith Now, communities of faith usually hold this thing called belief as one of its highest values. Like you got to believe these things, the right things in order to get to the right place. He walks in to a community of faith and openly expresses his doubt. Openly expresses his unbelief. Openly expresses his skepticism. I find that incredibly crazy. Like, here's the thing. Sometimes Thomas gets gets treated a little bit unfairly within the church. I think throughout history he has. He, he like, gets a bad rap. He's known as the doubter. Like, how would you like to walk around a community of faith and that be your nickname? The doubter. Oh, hi. I'd like you to meet Thomas. He's the doubter. How would you like that? He's known as the cynic, right? He, he wouldn't accept the testimony of his best friends. He wanted physical proof. He was late to the game. He missed out on something huge. All of those things are often seen as signs of like spiritual weakness. Like he's too stubborn. His faith is too small. It's too weak. It's, it's not where it needs to believe. He doesn't believe the right things. John tells us that Thomas had to do this for a whole week. He had to wrestle with his questions. He had to wrestle with his doubts. He had to wrestle with his unbelief in the presence of the other disciples for an entire week. I really do wonder, what was that week like for him? You ever wonder that? What was that week like for him? Was he ashamed of his unbelief? Or was his skepticism so strong that it sort of prevented him from feeling any kind of embarrassment at all? Does he think his friends were delusional? 
that the event of Jesus' death had sort of gotten them funny in the head with grief because grief can have profound effects on people. Did he feel like, like he missed out on something? Was it awkward? What was that week like? I have a theory. I, I don't know if I'm right or not, but I kind of like the theory, so I'm going to share it with you. A lot of what I share with you is, is a theory. Right? I have a theory. Maybe it wasn't awkward. Maybe it wasn't any of those other things either. Maybe something deeper and more profound happened in that community. Maybe the other disciples created space for his doubts, made room for his questions. Maybe the other disciples told him, man, it's okay if you don't believe. It's fine. Maybe that's why. Maybe it's because they created that kind of an atmosphere that, that Thomas actually stuck around for a whole week and didn't just run off. He stuck around. I like to think that was it. I hope that was it. You see, I think that this place and places like it, I think this place ought to be the very safest place in the world for questions and doubts. I mean, I feel like that's kind of what we're trying to create here at, New, at Renew. We're, we're trying to create a space where, where you can come and explore. Like, if you have this yearning to connect with the divine, if, if there even is such a thing as the divine, if you have this yearning inside to, to connect with spiritual things, but you're not quite sure how to go about it, like you're welcome to come here. You're welcome to be a part of this community, either in person once we get there or virtually online. You're, you're welcome here to bring all of your questions, all of your doubts, all of your unbelief. Express that doubt. Wear your skepticism on your shoulder. It's all good. I mean, this whole thing's a journey anyway, right? And all of us have to start somewhere. So here's my invitation to you. Just come with us. Come with us. All we're trying to do is do our best together to connect with the divine. Like, it's why we do what we do on Sunday morning. It's why we have small groups meeting Right now, virtually, but meeting, trying their best to, to connect with God. All we're doing here is trying our best to create a, a kind of community where we, can, where we can be real with one another, where we don't have to hide our scars, where we can be honest and our, our scars might be helpful to other people. And the stories behind those scars can be sort of these trail marks for others as we make our way through the wilderness. All we're trying to do here is maybe by some miracle of the presence of the divine, work together to make the world out there a, a safer, more loving and fair and generous and gracious place. Yeah, I think, I think that maybe that's why Thomas stuck around for a whole week. Because he had a community like that where it was all good. And he was just loved despite his doubts and unbeliefs.
Look, man, it's the week after Easter. Like, last week was awesome. Like, I had a buzz all day because of what happened, because of the things that we experienced, because of the the online interaction afterwards, which I love. Stick around. Do that again today. It was great. But then as you come down from Easter, oh man, it just starts to feel weird. And sometimes questions and doubts and skepticisms can, can sort of bubble up to the surface. And I want you to know that not only is that normal, it's all good. It's great. You're welcome to express those things. Because that's the kind of community I think Thomas had, and that's the kind of community we're trying to create here. So know that you're welcome. Know that you're loved. Let's pray. God, thanks for, for this book. Thanks for this story. Thanks for how honest it is and how, how human it is. And God, we pray that you would continue to, to create this community to be the kind of community that, that represents you, the kind of community that welcomes and loves and embraces in spite, our, in spite of all the things that we wish we could hide. Continue to create this kind of community to be the place that, that offers new life and resurrection and transformation because of your love and your presence and your grace in the room with us. We want you to know, Jesus, that we love you. It's in your name that we pray.